0: Well, good morning, Mosaic Church. Oh man, it is good to be together today with God's people worshiping uh, our King Jesus uh, together. My name is Joel, and I am one of the pastors here. And for those of you who have been at Mosaic for a while, you're like, "Oh yeah, I remember that guy." Um, and for those of you who are newer to the church, you're like, "What happened to the tall one? He's he's got a cool accent and." Uh, and usually, uh, man, we, we have the great privilege of hearing from our lead pastor, Renault, or uh, Brady White, who's an incredible teaching pastor, and today you're going to have to settle for me. Uh, but we did feed you donuts, so I mean, it could be worse. It could be worse. Uh, but I'm grateful to be here today. I've got a bit of a different role here at Mosaics. So I don't get to teach as often as I used to, so I'm going to shake off some rust here with you this morning, and the 1117 is going to have a great time. So thank you, thank you for your service to the gospel uh, today and being here at the 9.02 a.m. But I am glad to be here. And it is kind of fun to be at Mosaic where really uh, we bring God's word to the table week after week after week. And it may come from a different voice, uh, it may look a little bit different in how uh, that sermon might be prepared, um, but it's the Word of God. Do you guys remember, if you were here last week, Renaud kind of pointed that out a little bit uh, and pointed to kind of Brady's preparation method. If you guys remember that, we can put that on the screen. It's just so studious. It looks like he and Kay Arthur were hanging out together. Um, and it's just, there's highlights, there's asterisks. There's uh, circles, uh, boxes, I mean, shapes on shapes on shapes. Um, and he is just so fantastic in the way that he prepares. And I'm super grateful uh, for the way that Brady brings his gifting to the table here at Mosaic. Anyone else? Uh, yes. So we love Brady. And then we ever know. It's a little different. So Renaud uh, puts some chicken scratch on a sheet of paper, and then he does a few, you know, he's learning to do some circles and some boxes. That's Brady's influence. Uh, some slashes, some underlines. And uh, you know, that's just the way that God has wired uh, Renault. And And I'm even a little bit of a different animal than that. If you wanna take a, a look at how I've prepared this sermon today. So you guys are in for a real treat. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it is well-crafted word by word. Actually, my four-year-old daughter did that coloring. Um, If I had done it, it would look really bad. Um, So I'm not good at much, but here's the thing. Uh, I asked, hey, listen, I'm only gonna preach one sermon in the book of Jude. Would you just give me the best passage and make it really easy on me? And they said, sure. So that's what we've walked into today today. The best passage in the book uh, of Jude, and you know what? Uh, what is so fun about the way that Mosaic prepares sermons is that we actually don't. It's not just like Brady by himself in a room, or Renault by himself as he drives around and thinks uh, and prays. It's not just me by myself with uh, with a coloring sheet, right? Uh, but we do this in community because the gospel is best experienced and communicated. Uh, through community. It's actually really a protection for all of us is that not one person is the one who is interpreting the Bible on behalf of the people uh, when we come together in our gathered spaces, but there's actually a really phenomenal team that comes together week after week after week to help prepare. In fact, uh, Kevin Dunn, our pastor of biblical formation, uh, does a phenomenal job every single week and he prepares these things that we call teaching briefs. And so you guys are getting like the, you know, behind the curtain stuff. And uh, he does such a phenomenal job week after week to keep us consistently looking at the text together, uh, communicating together about what, what we're seeing in the word of God. Uh, we have a, a group of men and women that come together every Monday uh, or Tuesday if Monday's a holiday. Uh, and we spend time together in God's word and talk together and wrestle together. Uh, in that space, and that really sets the trajectory for what we step into as whoever the communicating pastor is that begins to prepare uh, between that teaching team and a Sunday morning. And so, man, it is a privilege that we get to get into God's word together every single week. And I hope that today you're encouraged that what we bring to the table Sunday after Sunday is not just one man's opinion, but it is the plurality of elders and deacons at Mosaic uh, who, are, who are endeavoring to faithfully handle the Word of God, which is the most precious thing uh, that we can imagine, and that we get to benefit from that week after week after week as a church as we seek to grow in uh, maturity, because the Word of God is precious. Amen? So this week in our teaching team meeting, Kevin Dunn brought this illustration to the table that I thought, man, we have to share this. Uh, and it is from the great American movie classic, The The Sandlot. How many of you guys have ever seen The Sandlot? Anybody here? Okay, so I would say that's a good 70% of the room. For those of you who have not seen The Sandlot, uh, the basic premise of this movie is there's a young boy named Scotty Smalls who moves into a neighborhood. He desperately wants friends. He's never played baseball in his life and all of the kids in the neighborhood play baseball together. And so in order to grow in friendship with these kids, he joins them uh, in their little sandlot baseball game that they play uh, as many days as they can during the summer. And uh, Scotty, he he makes a a very bad decision at one point because they run out of baseballs. And he goes to his stepfather's uh, trophy room and grabs a baseball uh, that was signed by none other than Babe Ruth, brings that to the game And they play a baseball game. And then Scotty hits this really lucky home run over the fence where this huge, uh, larger than life dog lives. And he eats every baseball that comes over the fence. And so take a look at this scene. And that's where we pick up. Smalls, you're dead as a door Smalls. Smalls, you mean to tell me that you went home and swiped a ball that was signed by Babe Ruth, and you brought it out here and actually played with it, and actually played with it? Yeah, yeah, but I was going to bring it back. But it was signed by Babe Ruth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You keep telling me that. Who is she? What? What? The Sultan of Swat. The King of Crash. The Colossus of Clout. The Colossus of Clout. Babe Ruth! The Great Bambino! You mean that's the same guy? Yes. Yes! Smalls, Babe Ruth is the greatest baseball player that ever lived. I mean, people say he was less than a god, but more than a man. You know, like Hercules or something. That ball you just aced to the beast is worth, well, more than your whole life, man. It feels so good. Fair. Come on. The great Bambino. So here's how this illustration plays out. We've been walking through uh, the book of Jude together and Jude is really all about the, the church uh, having false teachers infiltrate the church and bringing a different gospel to the table. This incredible and priceless gift of the good news of who Jesus is, the gospel, was being misused in order for those false teachers to make inroads with the community and the church and thereby benefit and profit. And and just like... We see in the sandlot. When you recognize the precious nature of something like a Babe Ruth baseball that gets misused and played in a sandlot game, then hit over the fence and is captured, it should break our hearts. It should make us sick. It should make us want to vomit because of the precious nature of the gospel and the reality that the gospel belongs on a trophy case. It belongs on display. It belongs in a place where people can see how good it is and that every person who walks into that house sees the gospel and says, wow, I can't believe you have a baseball signed by Babe Ruth. You know, he says that, that Babe Ruth is is they say he's less than a God, but more than a man. We just sang songs to Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, who came, who lived, who died, and who resurrected. And everything about him is worth telling to the ends of the earth, from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. And we should not allow anything to come in the way of the gospel being experienced in and through our lives, as we live out the gospel, as we proclaim the gospel in our neighborhoods, in our work relationships, uh, everywhere where we work or play, uh, the gospel is more important than anything else in the world, more precious than that baseball. And it is worth more than our lives, right? It's worth giving our lives for. And so Kevin brought that illustration to the table uh, this last Monday, and I thought, we've got to get into that because that really recaps where we have been traveling so far in the book of Jude. And Jude's about to make a bit of a transition here. What we're gonna step into today. Uh, he's gonna make a bit of a transition uh, and kind of hearken back to what he says in verse three of Jude chapter one, it's the only chapter, where he says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints the reason, the purpose for the letter of Jude is to contend for the faith, to, to, to remind us of the importance of the faith, to remind us of how much our faith matters and the gospel matters to us and how we ought to engage in defending the gospel. And we've talked about how do you defend the gospel? It's like a lion. You just let it out of its cage and the gospel is gonna go forth. And so that's what we've been about. And that's what Jude is, is bringing to our attention as we move into this next uh, sequence in Jude. Uh, because up to this point, he's been talking about uh, how bad it is that the false teachers have snuck in and have been given a platform to be able to uh, take the gospel and use it in ways that are not helpful, not beneficial to the church, uh, ultimately diluting and distorting the gospel. And then he makes this transition Uh, into what we're stepping into today by speaking to the audience, by speaking to us. So for the last few weeks, we've been recognizing how deep of trouble Scotty Smalls is actually in, right? The last few weeks, we've been talking about how deep of trouble these false teachers are in as they engage in proclaiming a false gospel, But now we're gonna transition to the audience, which is us, those who believe in Jesus for salvation, those who see the gospel for what it is, that precious uh, trophy, that Babe Ruth signed baseball. And so he turns his attention to us in verse 20. So open up your Bibles. Uh, We're gonna go there together this morning. Uh, If you have one of the mosaic blue Bibles, which by the way, if you don't have a good Bible at home, Please take one of ours. We would love for you to have it. We are big fans of the author, which is God. So uh, Jude chapter one, the only, the only chapter, if you can't find it very easily, you can go all the way back to the book of Revelation and you can turn uh, one page over to the left and you will find Jude. And we're gonna start today in verse 20. He says, but you, but you. Sneak up to verse 19 and let's remember what he's talking about. Verse 19, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoted, uh, devoid rather of the spirit. So those are the false teachers he's talking about. And then he changes directions and he says, but you. And he focuses his attention on those who know and love Jesus. Why do we know that? Because the next word he says, beloved. This is the fourth use of that term in this short book that, that we as followers of Jesus, are dearly loved by God. Not because of anything that we've done or anything that we deserve, but because of God's great, kind mercy toward us. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So what does he say? But you, he's contrasting uh, these false teachers in the way that they have been treating the gospel. And he's now calling us to think about the gospel very differently. So he says, but you building yourselves up in your most holy faith. He's saying press into the gospel. Just like he talked about in verse three, I'm appealing to you. I want you to remember this salvation that we have in Christ. It is more important than anything else in the world. It's more important than your newsfeed on your phone. It's more important than whoever won or lost the college football game or whoever's playing today in the NFL. It's more important than our hobbies. It's more important than our activities. It's more important than our work. It's more important than anything else. There's nothing more important in this life than what it is that gives us faith, which is the good news of who Jesus is. And so when we remember that, when we step into that, what does it do for us? It actually builds us up. It builds us up, which is in contrast to what the false teachers are doing, which is tearing down. And you'll see that early in the letter, that the, that the false teachers, the effect of what they are doing was tearing down and corrupting the good nature of what the gospel is meant to do in the church. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 2, verses six through eight. Listen into this. It says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught Abounding in thanksgiving. And here's the warning that the people reading this letter should hear as well, and so should we. Verse 8 See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So when we press into the gospel, we build ourselves up. We strengthen our faith. We strengthen ourselves and we press into knowing more about the authentic, real gospel so that when philosophies of the world come our way, we know how to combat them. And we don't combat them simply to prove anyone wrong. We combat them because as we press into our faith, it builds us up in Christ, right? And so he's saying, but you building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. So this connection of pressing into the gospel and our need for prayer is there. Jude is saying, look, you have no hope of pressing into the gospel and it impacting your life without communicating to God about it. And what he's saying is that prayer has a central and necessary place in the heart and in the life and in the faith of a believer. And we see it laden in scripture. We even see it in the ministry of Jesus, our Lord, the God-man who came and lived and died for us while he was in ministry. What would we see him do so often? He would go heal the sick. He would go teach. He would raise the dead. He would do all these things. And what would he do? Go off to a lonely place to pray. He'd go to a lonely place to pray. And if the son of God needs to pray, should we pray? And what what Jude is saying is, as we build ourselves up in the most holy faith, how do we do that? We pray in the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? And you can dig into this and there's some different ideas about what this could exactly look like, but at its base level, what does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? Scripture teaches us that the Spirit of God within us us, cries out to our Father, Abba, Father, that that the purpose of the Spirit in us is that it would connect us to the Father. And when we pray in the Holy Spirit, it's like breathing with our lungs, right? There's no other way to breathe than with your lungs. Agree? And there's no other way to pray Christian prayer other than praying in the Holy Spirit, because it is the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer to bring us to the Father through prayer. And so when we pray, we build up our faith, that our faith is built up as we run to the Father and say, Spirit of God, I don't even know what I need to pray, but, but you do. So lead me and guide me as I pray. And as we pray, as the Spirit of God works within us to pray, our faith is built up, we place the gospel and the good news of Jesus and who he is back up on the shelf of our heart. When everything that we've got in our world, in the world that we, go, we live in, as we go to and fro, as we scroll, whatever it is that we experience, everything in this world is literally meant to degrade our faith. Everything in this world is literally meant to bring our eyes away from Jesus. The advertising industry is a multi, multi, multi multi-billion dollar industry that is specifically designed to fix your eyes on something else besides Jesus. And there is no hope that you and I have of having a faith that is strong and built up and immune to any false teaching or philosophies of this world that could dilute or pollute our faith. We have no hope of that unless we engage with the spirit of God through the ministry of prayer. And that is what we as believers are called to do. And it's good for us. It's good for us and we need it. And this is how, verse 21, we keep ourselves. Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. This is how one of the ways that we abide and keep ourselves in the love of God is through looking at the gospel, through studying his word, through building our faith up and through prayer. That this is, what it looks like for the life of a believer to keep ourselves in the love of God. Now, one of the questions that came up when we were discussing this passage together is, well, wait a second. Don't we remember that Jude says that we are kept by the love of God? Do you guys remember that? That we are kept by the love of God. That the active agent of keeping us in God's love is actually God himself. That God is the one who keeps us in his love. And yet Jude also commands us to keep ourselves in the love of God. What does that mean? What does it mean to be kept and to keep ourselves simultaneously? Well, we see these tensions in all sorts of places in scripture. This recognition that God is the author of our salvation and that he's sovereign in our salvation. And yet we participate in faith in him. Or that God is sovereign over the universe and and he does whatever he wills. And yet he invites believers to engage with him in prayer. And that through prayer, God changes things. That we see these tensions all throughout scripture, that we are kept in the love of God. And yet we actively participate in placing ourselves in front of God's love. It's true that positionally, you and I are kept by Jesus, right? And yet experientially, often we can be distracted. We can forget. We're so forgetful. This is why scripture teaches us to remember, to remember, to remember, to build ourselves up in faith. And so though positionally we are kept by Jesus and that is true and sure as the day dawns, we are also commanded to keep ourselves positioned in the love of God, that that we keep ourselves experiencing the love of God, that we place our gaze toward Jesus, towards his word in prayer, building ourselves up and keeping ourselves in the love of God. And this is what we talk about, this idea of what it means to abide. And Jesus talks about this in John chapter 15. He says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love. Right? So Jesus is saying, just like the father loves me, I love you. So is the father's love for Jesus unchanging? Yeah, it is steadfast, yes? There's no version of the universe in where the father does not love the son, right? And so Jesus says, just as the father loves me, so I have loved you, but then what does he say? Abide in my love. So there's this reality that there's nothing we can do that can separate us from the, Love of God, there's nothing we can do that can separate us, but there are things that we can do to abide in it. And that's where the spiritual disciplines come into play. That's where opening our Bibles for ourselves rather than just, uh, you know, scrolling through Facebook and hoping we come, you know, to a nice verse for the day. That's what it means to actively engage in prayer of interceding with God, saying, God, would you change? the world that I live in today? Would you change my heart? Would you help me see you for who you are? That we engage in abiding in the love of God. First John 4, 6 says it this way. So we have come to know and believe that the love, the love that God has for us, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So there is an active participation that we get to have. Renaud talks about this a lot, which uh, we've maybe, if you've been a part of Mosaic for very long at all, you've heard this idea that we are like kids in the kitchen, just making waffles. And God doesn't need us to make the waffles (laughs) at all. And yet he invites us to participate. And so there's this incredible invitation to participating in abiding in the love of God he continues, says, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life. There's this tension that the mercy of Jesus in salvation, when we put our trust in Jesus for salvation, he extends mercy to us immediately. And that mercy is once for all, where he says, you know what? I'm not going to treat you the way that your sin deserves Instead, I'm gonna treat you the way that Jesus deserves because you've put your faith in Jesus for salvation. He has become your substitute. And when the father looks at us, he sees the son. And because when the father looks at us, he sees the son, he extends mercy to us once and for all. And yet scripture teaches us that his mercies are new for us. How often? Every morning. That, that there is an active extension of God's mercy in our lives. And for us, it is our role to participate in waiting for that mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. In 2 Peter, if you were with us during uh, that book that we preached through, I actually had the, the privilege of preaching through this text, but it, it says it this way. In verse 11 through 13 of 2 Peter 3 says, "'Since all, these, all of these things are thus to be dissolved,' what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. But according to his promises, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So when we wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life, what Judas is talking about here is he's saying, listen, You've been extended mercy through salvation and yet it, you've already experienced mercy and yet there is a fullness of the mercy of God that you will experience one day when you meet Jesus face to face. So we, we remain planted in the love of God while we wait to experience most fully his mercy when we step from this life to the next or when Jesus returns to make all things New. So we have an active participation. It's this, this waiting with anticipation, not just a passive waiting, but an active waiting for the ultimate mercy that we will experience when Jesus returns or when we meet him face to face. And the next thing that he says: have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. This word doubt in Greek, uh, which, which simply uh, means to separate oneself in a hostile spirit, to oppose, strive with dispute or contend is a, is a word that's pretty strong. I think a lot of times we think of doubt and we think like, oh man, you know, I'm not quite sure. And there's certainly an element of doubt that, that uh, the author here is talking about that man, they're just not quite sure. But he's using the same word, as he used to say that, uh, that, that uh, Michael disputed with the devil over the body of Moses. And so this idea of doubt is not simply someone who's not sure, but someone who is oppositional. So what Jude is saying is, have this mercy that you have been extended, this mercy that Jesus has given to you while you were his... While you were his enemy, Jesus, what did he do? He died for you. And so what Jude is saying is have mercy on those who doubt opposingly. Have mercy on those who would seek to discredit the gospel. Wow. Now we've read lots of verses here in Jude that talks about these false teachers and what big trouble that they are in. Just like the boys who hit the baseball over the fence. Just like Smalls was in big trouble. And Jude is saying, listen, these false teachers, they're in big trouble. But your job, Christian, follower of Jesus, just like the boy's friends were like helping him understand what had just happened. Remember the kid says, Smalls, listen to me, listen to me. This is a matter of life and death. Remember he says that? You and I, for those who are opposing the gospel, our posture should be a posture of friendship and concern. Where we look at people who are, not believing in Jesus for salvation, not with disdain, not with judgment, not looking down our nose at these people, but instead engaging with them as friends, helping them to see the seriousness of their situation. Have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on people who do not believe what you believe. And the reality is, is that if mercy is missing in our evangelism, as we share the gospel with people, if mercy is missing in our evangelism, then we fail to embody the very savior that we endeavor to preach to others. Let me say that one more time so that it lands. If mercy is missing in our evangelism, we fail to, to embody the very savior that we endeavor to preach to others. For those who have been shown mercy, we show mercy. And Jude continues. He says to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. what what Jude is saying is, listen, as we show mercy, as we extend mercy to people who are opposed to the gospel, the stakes are high and it matters a lot. He says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. This, This is a serious thing. But as we recognize that our communication of the gospel to people is important and it is powerful, And it can save people from an eternity separated from God. Never forget as we extend mercy to others, the mercy that has been shown with us. And so as we show mercy, we do so with fear. We do that with fear. What what does he mean? It's the fear of the Lord, this recognition that God is holy and he's righteous and he's just. And the mercy that we've received was necessary for us to have relationship with him. And so as followers of Jesus, we should never take for granted the beauty of the relationship that we have with God. And as we share Jesus with others, we never share Jesus with others from any other place than a place that says, I am a sinner who is in need of mercy and I have been shown mercy. And so I want you to see Jesus for who he is. And this idea of hating even the garment that is stained by the flesh, it's very strong language that Jude is saying. And he's trying to help us understand that as we communicate the true gospel to others, as we preach the good news of who Jesus is, we should never preach the good news of who Jesus is and divorce it from our experience of why it was good news to us in the first place. As we share the good news of who Jesus is, It's not just good news for the people out there that don't know him, but it's good news for you. And it's good news for me. Because the reality is, is that all of us, you and I, we were a far off son or daughter from God. And the love of Jesus has brought us back. Just like the prodigal son. He goes out and he lives his life. He he lives for the world, he lives the world's way. And he comes back smelling like a pigsty stained by everything, defiled by everything that the world had to offer. And he comes back and what does the father do? He robes, uh, puts a robe of righteousness around him. He wraps him in his garment. And for us, we can never forget what it was like to not know Jesus. We can never forget what it was like to be in a place where we were absolutely desperate for the mercy of God. And as we share the good news of who Jesus is with others, we ought to do so with our own need for mercy in view. Because it is so easy for those of you who have been following Jesus for a year or five years or 10 years or 20 or 40, to think to ourselves, the mercy of Jesus is needed for those people and to forget that the mercy of Jesus is needed for us. And so the good news of the gospel is so precious. It is so good. It is so needed. It is to be placed up on display in our lives and be shown to others, but we can never forget that the mercy first came for us and that we need it every single day. There's a saying out there, you know, you love the sinner and hate the sin, right? Love the sinner and hate the sin. But I think it's been better said that we should love the sinner and hate our own sin. Love the sinner and hate our own sin. And as we extend mercy to others, we're simply just communicating the good news of who Jesus is through the lens of our own testimony and saying, here's why I needed Jesus. And here's why I need Jesus today. And here's why I will need Jesus tomorrow. And here's why I want you to know him. See here at Mosaic, our desire is that every single one of us who knows Jesus would go out to our workplace, our neighborhood, our family relationships, and every other person that we can and share the good news of the gospel with those people. And yet we should never and can never forget of the mercy that Jesus has extended to us. What a beautiful place that Jude brings us to today, to recognize the prized beauty of the gospel for us and for others. And let us never forget how desperate we are for the mercy of God, as we share who Jesus is with other people, amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so very much for your mercy. We thank you that your mercy has been made available to us. We recognize that we are in desperate need of it every single day. And we also recognize that you give it freely. So we thank you for that. God, I pray today that if there is anybody in this room that has not yet experienced your mercy in their lives, Maybe they're still here and maybe they have doubts. Maybe they're not sure. Maybe they're here and and they're opposed. God, I pray that you would soften every heart in this place to see your goodness for what it is. And for those of us who have experienced your mercy, which has led to our salvation, we can trust that we are kept by you. God, help us to live lives that, that, deeply engage in abiding with you so that our faith would be built up. As we stare into the gospel, that our faith would be built up. As we engage in praying in the Holy Spirit, that our faith would be built up. And as we extend your mercy to others, as we seek to love you, God, and to love others, help us to do so from a posture of recognizing our own need so that no one would ever experience us as self-righteous or holier than thou. God, help us to be a people who regularly recognize the stark contrast between your goodness and our sin and help us bring everything we can to the table of keeping ourselves in your love, confessing our sin to you because you're faithful and you're just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus, we need you today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.